Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Ari shared with you, Vicki and I were on vacation last week, and the week before, we left last Thursday and came back on Labor Day, and I went down to uh, Orange Beach, Perdido Key down there, and we just, we're, we're beach people, we enjoy doing that kind of thing, and um, but, uh, you know, prior to that, just before we went down there, there was this lady that showed up, and her name was Ida. Y'all remember her from a couple of weeks ago? And uh, Hurricane Ida was uh, starting to head in. And, you know, depending on which direction it was going, was whether or not we were going to be able to go on vacation. You know, you paid for it. You, I didn't get the insurance in case there was a catastrophe. And so I was going to lose, you know, all that kind of stuff that you start thinking about. But thank goodness we, we continue to pray for and work for the with the people in, in Louisiana that took the brunt of the storm. But, by you know, by the time I got here, wasn't it a blessing that it kind of, uh, you know, weakened to the point that we didn't have nearly what we expected to get here. And, uh, but you know, that, that hurricane caused us all to think about another hurricane, didn't it? Caused us to start thinking about it, remembering when Katrina came in, uh, same, uh, same day, uh, years ago. And when Katrina showed up and man, what a, what an experience that was, um, I was at First Baptist Church. I mean, I was in uh, Monticello Baptist Church when Katrina hit, and I remember we had uh, the year before Katrina hit. We had started the, a building project. When I got there in 1999, they already had plans for a family life center, and they were kind of waiting on a pastor to get there to kind of get things going again with a building program. And so we got that going, and and I built a family life center right next door to the church. And I remember the year before. Katrina hit, we were in the process of finishing up all the plans and blueprints and floor plans and all that kind of stuff and having all those meetings that you have to have to do that kind of stuff with architects. And and I remember sometime at some point, some meeting somewhere, somebody said, hey, now look, when we, when we build this building, we need to make sure that we put showers in those bathrooms. And I remember somebody, I, I may have said it, but somebody said it in the meeting, these words, just in case we have to be a hurricane shelter. Because if you know anything about Lawrence County, some of y'all do, y'all know that Highway 27 comes right through uh, Lawrence County, right through uh, Monticello. And that's one of the major evacuation routes out of Louisiana. It comes straight out of Covington through uh, Franklinton on up through uh, Mississippi, right on up through uh, to Crystal Springs to I-55. And so it's a major evacuation route when hurricanes are coming into Louisiana. And so we knew that there would be that possibility. And so we put showers in the bathrooms at that Family Life Center. We dedicated that Family Life Center in April of that year, and then in August of that year, Katrina hit. And our Family Life Center filled up with 100 people from the Ninth Ward in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, just, you know, you think about the, the, those, those events just kind of mark you, they imprint you, uh, those signature events in our lives. I, I, even right now, I'm just thinking about experiences that we had when we, I know y'all had stuff going on here too. We were down in Lawrence County, you know, 60 miles, 65 miles south of here and, and uh, you know, 100 mile an hour winds. I remember going upstairs in that family life center in the brunt of the storm. Uh, I'd sent, the, the storm came in on Monday. On Sunday, we had actually started a revival that Sunday morning with Dr. Rod Mumbauer, who's a member of our church. He was on staff at First Baptist Jackson at that time and he started a revival that Sunday morning. Well, that by that, after we finished 
preaching that day, I said, dude, we're done. You got to go home. I'm sending Vicki and the kids, uh, Reese, uh, Rachel and Russ, to Cleveland. They're going to Cleveland. Reese was on the fire department with me in Monticello. He was going to stay with me. And, and then the hurricane came in on, uh, and people started coming in on Sunday, and then the hurricane came in on Monday. I remember in the teeth of that storm with those 100-mile-an-hour winds, I went upstairs in the building, and it was like the building was breathing. I could just hear the creaking, and, I, and there, a couple of times I was wondering if the roof or portions of the roof was about to come off. You could just hear it as, as the building, the, the, the wind coming in and out, and uh, it was a pretty, pretty crazy uh, experience. You, know, you just have those, those times in your life where you have those experiences, those, those memories that come back. Uh, other things, I remember January 28th, 1986, I was sitting in a New Testament class at Mississippi College, New Testament class, and uh, the, we were just about to get started. The class hadn't started yet. The professor was about to pray, and the secretary from the religion department at MC burst through the door crying, and she said, the space shuttle Challenger has just exploded. You remember, some of y'all remember where you were when that happened. You remember that? Uh, what an incredible tragic thing for our nation that that moment i remember on uh, march the 30th of 1981 i was a junior in high school i came in from school that day three o'clock 3 30 that afternoon i walked through the front door the tv was right there so i stopped turned the tv on just out of force of habit and i never moved i didn't move for the next hour and i stood in front of the tv as the news reporter said uh president reagan has just been shot. There's been an assassination attempt on his life. And President Reagan's been shot. You remember where you were when that happened? Do you remember? And I remember, and we know now, that, I mean, he, he survived, obviously, but we didn't know then until he got to the hospital that day just how close he literally came to dying that day. I mean, the, the bullet was, the fragment of that bullet was inches away from uh, his heart and from uh, it being a tragic, tragic moment. Uh, I remember in 1977, uh, Billy Perry was one of my buddies, lived right behind me in Cleveland, house right behind me. And I was over at his house that day. And uh, we were, I don't know what we were doing, we were just messing around, whatever kids do, you know. And we just were playing, goofing around in his house. And it was August the 16th of 1977. All of a sudden, his mama screamed. Why did his mama scream? Who Who died? Elvis had just died. I was waiting to see who was going to pick up on that date. Uh, Elvis had just died. And, you know, uh, that moment happened, uh, just another one of those. Um, I was just about three and a half years old on April the 4th of 1968. So I don't remember it. But April the 4th, 1968, when Martin Luther King was got down uh, on a balcony in Memphis, Tennessee. And that that whole time period in the life of our nation was such a tumultuous time, but certainly that was a, a moment that really imprinted a lot of people. And then about six months before I was born, but seven months before I was born, um, November 22nd of 1963, and some of you remember where you were uh, when President John F. Kennedy was assassinated uh, just shortly before I was born. My daddy was, uh, daddy told me, that he was uh, a traveling salesman at that time. He was working for uh, a beauty and barber supply company. So he was traveling all over the state of Mississippi. And I, mean, I don't know where he was, but he had stopped for uh, that day, and he went into a diner to get something to eat. And he sat down, and he ordered his food, and they brought his food. 
put his plate down on the table, and as soon as they did that, a man burst through the doors of the diner and said, well, they killed that, and used an expletive. And the place people in the diner began to clap. So Daddy pushed his plate back and got up and walked out. And then September the 11th, 2001. Wow, man, what a day, wasn't it? It was a beautiful day here, too. You remember how pretty it was that day? It was beautiful in New York City, and it was beautiful in Monticello. I mean, I had gotten up that morning and gone down to the high school, which was right down the street from our house, and I'd done a little running around the track that day trying to exercise a little bit, and I came back, got in my car, and radio was on as soon as I cranked it up, and they were talking about a plane hitting the World Trade Center. And I, I probably, like many of you, I thought, man, some some idiot and some probably a little Cessna, little single-engine private plane, man, how crazy is that? That's terrible. And walked through the door of my house and stood there behind my recliner for the next two hours and didn't move as the TV just played all the events that were happening live and saw the second plane hit. Uh, it hit right about the time I came in. And Mama was... Uh, taking chemo treatments. Mama was diagnosed with breast cancer in January of that year, and she was in the middle of chemo treatments. And she'd asked my two brothers and me, Tim is my older brother, Andy's my younger brother, and she'd asked the three of us over the course of that year if we would just come and be with her from time to time when she was taking her treatments. Not because she just wanted us to be, she wanted us to be there with her. Daddy was with her, so, but she just wanted us to experience, see what she was experiencing, you know. Wanted us to understand firsthand what she was going through with these chemo treatments and stuff like that. And so she and Daddy, she had a chemo treatment that day, and she and Daddy were on their way from Cleveland to Jackson to the cancer clinic at Baptist Hospital that day for a cancer for a, a treatment. And uh, I called them. They had no idea what was going on. They they didn't have the radio, and they had left early that morning. And so I called them and told them what was going on. And I said I just stood there for about two hours, just couldn't I couldn't just like you. I'm sure you were doing the same thing, just. What in the world? My phone was ringing off the wall. Uh, church members were calling. People were calling John. Brother John, what is going on? Is this the end? Of, I, heard, I had one lady call me and say, John, is this the end of the world? We felt that way, didn't we? I mean, we were just like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I preached that night at a youth event in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And then the next Sunday, our church was packed to the rafters. and We had a balcony, people everywhere. And about two weeks, it stayed packed and then we didn't need God anymore after about two weeks and everybody went back to business as usual but uh and I remember when the towers fell when the first one fell I screamed it just came out as I as I saw it begin to crumble and then as it became as it just imploded uh, a scream just erupted from me because I realized then I knew people had died when the planes hit but as a firefighter, Ian and others, as a firefighter, I realized then as that tower was coming down, guys were going up. I knew that, and I knew that we had lost a bunch of guys in the fire service. I didn't know there was 343, but I knew that. And just as a firefighter, my heart just leapt. 412 emergency workers that day lost their life. 343 firefighters, 60 law enforcement guys from different agencies. Uh, eight emergency uh, medical EMTs and paramedics from some private um, EMS agencies, one 
uh, officer with the New York Fire Patrol, 412 total uh, emergency workers as the towers fell, and great was the fall of those towers. But as great as that fall was, there was an even greater fall that happened. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, if you'll take your Bibles and open up to that passage of Scripture, Genesis 3, 1 through 7, and stand please for the reading of God's Word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, check this out, y'all. He said to the woman, did God actually say, (laughs) did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees, the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. I'll get back to that phrase in just a minute. Lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you, in, South, in central Mississippi, line, you ain't going to die. I mean, no, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and she saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, so she took some of its fruit and she ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Pray with me. Father, I pray right now by the power of your spirit who is present with us and in us that you would teach us today what we need to know and give us the power to apply it and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 1,189 chapters in the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. There are two out of 1,189. There are two chapters in the Bible where sin is not a problem. (laughs) There are two chapters in the Bible where sin is not present. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Sin was not present. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Two chapters out of 1,189 where sin's not present, sin's not a problem. Man, imagine, imagine how wonderful that would be. Imagine how wonderful, incredible that would be to know that a perfect creator God, a perfect, wonderful creator God has created this perfect place for you to live with your perfect body, to live with your perfect spouse, and to eat perfect food, and to have perfect peace, and perfect love, and perfect intimacy, and perfect joy, and all the things that God wanted to give, that God did give. Just imagine Genesis 1 and 2. Oh, man, well, we, we can't imagine it because our minds and our hearts and our lives are already tainted with sin. We can't really, we can do the best we can, but we can't, we can't fathom that. We can't get our brain around that because there's no way that we've ever experienced anything close to that. I mean, God, when He created, you know, the, you know the creation narrative, Genesis 1 and 2, that God would create something. He'd go, and, and, and the, the Bible would say, and God saw that it was good. Remember that? And then he'd create this and this and this, and then he said, and God saw that it was good. And he created this and this and this, and God saw that it was good. And then you get to the end of chapter 1, and and it says, when God saw everything that he had made, and that included Adam and Eve, what did he say? And God saw that it was what? Very good. 
Once it was all done, and once Adam and Eve were in the middle of it, God said, this is very good. Y'all, let me tell you something. If God says something is very good, it is show enough good. Amen? And so that's what he had said about this Garden of Eden and about what he had created, about Adam and Eve and putting them in the middle of it. This is very good. Until you flip the page to chapter 3. Flip the page to chapter 3. In my ESV, English Standard Version Bible, right above the number 3 in Genesis chapter 3, I've got two words written. If you've got another, you get the NIV or something, you may have a little different something. But in mine, it's, it's two words. I have two words written. The fall. How many of you have that in, in your Bible? And, somebody, and you may have something else. Yours may say the fall of man or uh, man's disobedience and rebellion or something like that. But, but, but mine, mine says the fall. And that's what this is in Genesis chapter 3. It is the fall. It is the fall. It is not a fall. It's not some random fall. It is the fall. And every fall since this moment is the result of the fall. Everything. When, when the towers fell, the towers falling on 9-11 was the result of the fall. When people fell out of those buildings 100, 100 floors up and plunged to their death, they fell as a result of the fall. When United Flight 93 fell out of the sky over Shanksville, Pennsylvania and was buried into the, uh, into the earth in that field, it fell out of the sky because of the fall that we have read about. This fall, the fall, has affected every person in history since this moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I encourage you to jot that verse down. Romans 5, 12. I want to read it from the Amplified Version. It says, it says there, Therefore, just as Sin came into the world through one man, came into the world through Adam, and death through sin, death came in through sin. Listen, listen. so death spread to all people, and no one was able to stop it or escape its power because they all sinned. So this fall, the fall, chapter 3, the fall started every other fall. And the damage... The entire human race now is in trouble and is damaged because of the fall. And the damage that was done because of Genesis 3, 1 through 7, the damage that was done in this moment, in this moment in the Garden of Eden, the damage that was done there is more devastating and more far-reaching and more incredible than a million 9-11s. And so you almost get this, this hopeless feeling, kind of like we had after 9-11 that night when we were still glued to the TV and those smoldering ruins were just there and you were just people were just... There was such a sense of hopelessness on so many people's, in so many people's lives and people were holding up pictures of loved ones and crying and weeping and 
stapling and taping pictures of their family members all over the city of New York, just hoping that somebody, just hoping beyond hope that somebody somewhere would know something, have some little shred of evidence that their loved one just some way could still be alive. And yet out of the nearly 3,000 people that died that day, over 1,700 families have never gotten one single shred of remains of their loved ones who died that day. Talk about hopelessness. But listen to me, my friends, there is hope. Even in the midst of this fall, there is hope. And the application for this message is simply this, and profoundly this, that Jesus is the only answer for the damage, the widespread, catastrophic, devastating, death-filled damage that is caused by sin. So let's talk about the fall. I want to talk about, first of all, the reasons for the fall. The reasons for the fall. First of all, there's three I want to give to you real quick. One is the subtle deception. The subtle deception. Quick question. How many of you hate snakes? Raise your hand if you hate snakes. All right. I mean, I usually get a pretty good response from people when I, when I do that. You know, we hate snakes. The vast majority of us will finish this statement saying this. The, uh, the only good snake is a what? A dead snake. I, yeah, that's right. If we got any PETA people here, I'm sorry. But that's just how we feel, all right? So, I mean, you just we just don't like them. I know, I, I know, I know. Brother John King, snakes are good. I know, I know they are. I know there are good snakes, and I understand that. I, I personally dislike spiders worse than I dislike snakes, but snakes run a close second to spiders in my book. And I just, yeah, we just, I just don't like them. We don't like them. The vast majority of people don't like them. The way they look, and, and if they're poisonous, what they can do to us, and just, man. I remember one time, Ian on the fire department, y'all probably got some of you law enforcement guys too, we get called out for everything. People dial 911 for everything. Yeah, there's, you know, cat in the tree, the typical cat in the tree. I've never gotten a cat out of the tree. Best way to get a cat out of the tree is to pull the fire hose off the fire. But anyway, uh, so, but, uh, but, um, uh, but uh, I'm a dog lover, sorry. But um, I remember one time when I was on the fire department in Byram, we got paged out for a snake in somebody's house. They dialed 911 for a snake in the house. Any of you guys ever responded to a snake in the house, Brad? You're okay. Oh. And so I, 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 I responded, and I got there, and I was the old guy there. It was my son was there, and there was a couple other younger guys, and I outranked them. So I kind of was in, I was in command. <laughs> so I was in command of the snake in the house, and uh, so I walked in, and I'm thinking it was an Oriental lady, and and I'm I'm thinking we're going to walk in, and it's going to be a little, a little snake curled up inside a shoe in her closet or something like that you know and and so I walk in and we walk into the bathroom she's just freaking out she is just frantic and and so we walk in we go to she says in the bathroom so we walk in the bathroom and she's standing over here and she's pointing in the tub she says it's in there it's over there and so I walk over to the tub ready to get the little bitty snake out of the tub and be the hero and I walked over and there's a water moccasin that long laying in that lady's bathtub now I really got to do something. And it's like, <laughs> why do I have to be the guy? To, you know, we just hate snakes. By the way, we killed him. We got him out of there. But um, we just hate snakes. But so, so check this out. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, now the serpent, and it starts talking. 
it starts talking about a snake. And Satan, in some way, had taken the form of a serpent. And for us, in our mindset, that's, that's horrible. I mean, there ain't, no, ain't nobody in here that wants to have a conversation with a snake. But for some reason or another, there was something about this serpent that made Eve want to have a conversation. There's some kind of subtle deception going on here. You remember we just finished up that sermon series on spiritual warfare. We talked about Satan a lot. I don't like talking about him a lot, but we did. And we said that he is an angel of light, remember? In other words, he disguises himself as something that you would like to have in your life. Something that you would like to converse with. Someone that you would like to interact with. He didn't come to us like some kind of grotesque, horrible-looking horror movie creature that we are repulsed by and don't want to, you know, would run from. No, he comes as an angel of light, but he comes as a serpent. And that, at this moment, was apparently a good thing or an appealing thing. we got to remember that where we are, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve, at least from what we see in Scripture, you know, Adam and Eve probably didn't have a real frame of reference of things that they were supposed to be afraid of. When they were in the perfect garden, why would you be afraid? Things that could bring danger. I mean, and so there's just this subtle deception. And then there's something else I want you to see here too. Talking about the reasons for the fall, this subtle deception. So first was that, and then look at verse, again in verse 1, the serpent was more crafty. The ESV says crafty. Now when we think about crafty, it usually does have kind of a negative connotation to us. If somebody's crafty, it's like, okay, I'm going to keep my eye on him. I'm going to let him out of my sight. I'm going to keep him at arm's length. He's crafty. There's something about him. He's trying to do something. He's trying to slip something in on me. He's trying to get something over. I mean, you know, i got to keep my eyes crafty. But I looked that word up in the Hebrew, which the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and I looked it up. And that word can also mean this. Listen to this. That word can also mean sensible. Hmm. let's put it there now the serpent was more sensible you talk about a subtle deception isn't that just the way that temptation happens though we're tempted when things begin to sort of seem sensible to us I mean, you know, man, I can, if I shade these numbers on the, in my books, in my business, you know, I know it's not right. I know it's not right. But if I did that, I could make more money to take care of my family. Isn't that an honorable thing? If I did that, if I shaded these numbers and made some shady business deals, I could have more money to give to the church, you know? And so all of a sudden, things start seeming sensible. You see that? You see that subtle deception? The enemy comes in and just he's sensible. He's making some sensible statements, some sensible insinuations, some sensible recommendations. 
I mean, you know, my husband just doesn't understand me, and he just, you know, she just doesn't meet my needs, and 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 you know, and I just, and so you know, when I met this guy, and he just, he's everything that my husband, and all of a sudden, you're thinking what in your mind seem to be sensible things, and you're about to fall. You see the subtle deception. Then we move from the subtle deception to seeds of doubt. And that's what I was talking about there in verse 1 where it says, the enemy said to the woman, did God actually say these things? Do you hear that doubt in there? You're, you're, if you got the NIV, the NIV, I think, let's see, the NIV says, um, did God really say that? Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, why would God do that to you, man? Why would He keep you from eating of that tree? I mean, did He really say that? Come on, did He really say that? You see how the enemy does that? Did God really say that? Man, how many times do we hear that voice of compromise? Do we hear those voices of doubt? You know, man, what I it's not that bad. What I'm I, yeah, I know it's wrong, but I'm you I'm I'm better than he is. How many times do we do that? Just compromise and doubting. As long as nobody gets hurt, you know. As long as long as I don't get caught, as you know, um, you know, a, a lot of folks doing a whole lot worse things than I'm doing. You, you hear that? And that's what the enemy does. He just starts sowing those seeds of doubt, and then we start making some sad decisions. The reasons for the fall were some sad decisions that were made. And I'm not talking about just the decision that they ultimately made to eat the fruit. I'm talking about before you get to that. One decision is that you find what Eve, it's verse 3 that I said I was going to speak to, where Eve responded to the question when the enemy said, did God really say these things? And Eve said, well, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And that's, God did say that. And then she said this, neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that. Do you hear me? God didn't say that. He didn't say, don't touch the tree. He said, don't eat of it. He did not say, don't. What's the big deal with that? Eve was adding to what God said. You don't do that. That's a dumb decision, my friend, for you to add to what God has said. So Eve made that decision. And then, i got to talk about Adam here. Where was Adam? Why in the world was the man who God created to be the protector of his wife? Men, listen. Where was Adam? How dare Adam abdicate his responsibilities and make his wife have to go face to face in a confrontation with the evil one? How dare him let that conversation? Why didn't he step in as the man of his family, as the man of God? that God had created as the protector of his wife. Why didn't he step in and say, you get out of my wife's face. You shut your mouth. Don't be bringing that stuff into my life. Don't be bringing that stuff into my garden that God's given to me. Don't be bringing that stuff to my wife. You're not going to do that. One of the problems with the world, our nation, and the church today is that men are wimps and they have abdicated their responsibility. 
And if men would step up and be the men of God that we're called to be, we'd have revival in the church. If this altar was flooded with men who were crying out to the Lord on their face before the Lord, forgetting all their macho pride and getting on their face before the Lord and crying out for God to change their heart and their life. And if they would assume the responsibilities that the Word of God says they're supposed to have. Where was Adam? A sad decision that Adam had made to let his wife have to deal with the evil one. It says he was there with her, so I guess he was just standing there watching. Shame on him, and shame on us men if that's what we're doing. And then they made the decision. Let's eat the fruit. Sad decisions. One writer said this about Adam. said, Adam should have crushed the head of that evil serpent then and there. He should have squashed this rebellion rather than taking part in it. He, had he done so, Adam and Eve would have been able to eat their fill of the tree of life and enter into a heavenly life without ever having to experience death. It's a sad decision. That, that's the reasons for the fall, the results of the fall. Let me tell you what the results of the fall, and I've got to finish this thing up. The results of the fall are this. Number one, sin. <laughs> sin was the result of the fall. Sin happened. Sin came into the world. Genesis 1 and 2 wasn't there. Genesis 3, verse 6, there it is. Sin's in the world now. The Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means missing the mark. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You deer hunters are trying to shoot that deer out there and he's too far out and your arrow falls short of the target and the deer keeps walking. You don't take the trophy buck home. When we sin, we miss the mark. God says, here it is, man, you're in the garden. You've got everything that you need. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of you. I'm meeting all of your needs. You've got this beautiful wife. You've got this wonderful husband. You've got everything that you need. But they fell short. And it brought death. God promised that. He said, hey, God's going to keep his promises. He said, he said, if you back it up into chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord God said, you can eat of every tree of the, every tree of the garden, verse 17, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God kept his end of the promise because death happened. You flip the page, you go to chapter 4, and the first murder happens. Death happened. Sin happened. Separation happened. And that beautiful, interrupted, uninterrupted fellowship between God and Adam and Eve was disrupted. That's what sin does. Their guilt and their fear caused them to try to run and hide from God, which you cannot do if you're trying to do that here today. You can't because that's what sin does. It separates us from a loving Heavenly Father. We try to hide. We try to run. We're separated. And then sickness, sin and strife and sickness. Man, there wasn't any... There wasn't any COVID, there wasn't any cancer, there wasn't any heart disease, high blood pressure, Alzheimer's, dementia, PTSD, uh, depression. There wasn't even a snotty nose in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. But we show deal with a lot of sickness now, don't we? And then strife. 
sin and separation and sickness and strife. Just strife, man, animosity, conflict, Cain and Abel. The next chapter, murder happens. Adam and Eve, uh, you know, Eve, guess what? Sorry, ladies. Childbirth's wonderful, but it hurts like crazy, doesn't it? It's a hard, it's a difficult, painful experience. It's wonderful, I know. But guess what? Welcome to the fallen world. Your childbirth's going to be painful from now. Adam, guess what? You get to work. You get to toil. Nothing wrong with working and toiling, and it's really good when you're working in a perfect garden. But guess what, Adam? You got to deal with thorns and thistles and, and bull weevils and weeds and everything else from now on, and you're going to work, and the ground's going to be hard, and it's going to be tough. Welcome to the fallen world. Your kids are going to get in a fight, and one of them's going to kill the other one in the next chapter. Welcome to the fallen world now. Those of us that are in, the, in emergency services, every time that pager goes off or every time that radio brings a call to a police cruiser somewhere, we respond and see the results of sin. Every time. Every time. Strife. Our nation, our communities, our world, our churches are full of strife. 911, 9-11 was the prime example of the strife and the animosity and conflict, and it just continues. So let me finish by talking about the responses to the fall. The reasons for the fall, that deception and doubt and decisions, the results, the sin and the separation, the sickness and the strife. And let me just talk about the responses to the fall. First, I want to talk about God's response to the fall. God's response to the fall. You know what my response probably would have been if I'm God? Aren't y'all glad I'm not God? Because <laughs> uh, I'm glad, thank God, none of us are God. Because, you know, God, man, he could have just said, you know what? Really? I mean, I put y'all in this perfect garden. I give you everything, and you're going to go and do this. How many times you said something like that to your kids? And we were justified when we say it to our kids. But, I mean, somebody, come on. I mean, God could have just backed, I'm done with y'all. I'm done with y'all. I gave you everything that you wanted. I gave you everything that you needed. I took care of you. You had all this stuff, and you went and blew it. So I'm done with you. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to sit back up on my throne again, and I'm about to unleash a barrage of judgment on this garden. I'm going to, I'm going to flood it. I'm going to send a bajillion lightning bolts. I mean, you're in trouble, man. You are in trouble. I'm done with y'all. Made your bed, sleep in it. You know, all that kind of stuff that we say. Guess what? That ain't God. You know what God did? Hey, let me ask you something. Is God, does God know everything? Is God omniscient? All right, so he knew that Genesis 3, 6 had happened, right? He knew that they took it and they ate it. He knew that, right? Did he know that? He knew that. And guess what he did? He came into the garden. Instead of abandoning the garden, he came into the garden. And you know what he was doing when he came in? He was looking for them. Now, he knew where they were. But he came in seeking them. That's God. In your sin today, I'm talking to all of us because all of us are sinners. God's looking for us. He's coming to us. He's not abandoned you. He's not mad at you. 
He's looking for you. <laughs> Today. He's coming. He's come. He's here. Today. Looking for you. And then one of the coolest verses in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. Because God's response to the fall was to come find his kids. <laughs> but then he spoke to the serpent. And he said, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. There is one who is coming. And he is going to crush your head. And his name is Jesus. And he's coming. The Savior's coming. He has come. The Rescuer. The Deliverer. The Messiah. He's coming. That's what God told the enemy. And, and Adam and Eve got to hear that too. So there's hope. So our response, God's response is to come to us and to tell us, I'm, I'm sending your Savior. I'm sending your Redeemer. I'm sending the one who's going to rescue you. I'm sending Him. I'm going to take care of this situation that you've messed up, but by my grace, I'm going to take care of it. <laughs> That's such a God thing. And then our response is we can do one of two things. Number one, we can try to do what Adam and Eve did, and that's what most of us do. We try to run and hide. Oh, man, I can't. I don't want to see God right now. After what I've done, after what I've, how bad I've messed this up. We try to run and hide, but you can't hide. So you can either do that or you can do this next thing. You can run to God. You run to Him. Today. You run to him. And he loves you. He's waiting on you. Open arms. There's a lot of folks that are that are running from God. This past week, I'll finish up with this. This past week, we were down in Avondale, Louisiana, doing our work on Wednesday. And so we set this up for you. The Avondale Fire Department had shown up and they brought a pallet full of ice, bags of ice. So it was down here on this end by this street. And then you come back across the parking lot here. The ice was there, and there were big stacks of, of uh, uh, bottles of Clorox and things like that. And there were bags of food that Mission Byram had sent for us. And there were just stacks and stacks and stacks of cases of water and all this kind of stuff. And so the people would come in off of this street. they come into the parking lot. They would come up this. And as they were doing it, the volunteer people were just putting, you know, putting water in there. They'd open their trunk up. They'd put water in there. They'd put food in there. They'd grab some Clorox, some cleaning supplies. If they needed some dog food, they'd get, we had some dog food they give people that's a few uh, packs of diapers and stuff they give those people they get over here and then the firefighters would drop a couple of bags in their ice of ice in their trunk and they would leave and that's that that's, that's what we did all about 150 people 150 cars came through it's wonderful so sandifer and i my mark sandifer and i we just stood we stood out here on this end of the line with tracks and with, with gospel tracks in our hands and so when the people would stop for and open up the door for somebody then mark and i would come up to the the driver's side and tap on the window and they roll the window down and we say, hey, can we pray for you? What's your name? Can, can, we, can we have a word of prayer with you? Can we pray with you real quick? Can you read this when you leave? Yeah. Can we just say, well, how can I pray for you real quick? Because we're trying to keep the line moving and they were hollering, oh, keep the line moving! You know, so we're trying, to, we're trying to pray for people and stuff like that. And You know what answer we got from a lot of people when we said, can we pray for you? People say no. People are running from God. I mean, you walk up to them, hey, can I pray for you? No. <laughs> it was funny. One time, 
I was standing out here, and I looked at Sandifer down there, and he walked up to this car, and there was this lady in the car, and she rolled the window down about this much. He said, hey, can I pray for you? And that window went up. The window just went up, right? I mean, it almost caught his nose as it was going up. I just busted out laughing. But anyway, so, uh, uh, but, I mean, yeah, people were just saying no. Now, a lot of them, most of them said yes, but over and over, I'll tell you, a bunch of folks, they said no. Can we pray for you? No. Oh, okay. I'm going to pray for you anyway, but I'm just not going to, you know, I'm not wanting to. So let me tell you about one more. So Shane Jones came out there, and she was helping us a little bit too. I'm standing down here again, and I'm, we were kind of taking turns. So Shane walks up to this car. There's a young man in the car. Got his shirt off all tatted up. And she walks up, and she says, hey, can I pray for you? And he said, no, and he began to weep. And she said, he said, no. And so she looked at me and she said, John, can you come help? So I walked over and I said, hey, man, what's up? He, he just he couldn't talk. So I, I said, why don't you pull over here and let's talk. Get out of the line. So he pulls over here and I'll walk up. His name is Michael. Did 10 years in the, in the Army. Did two tours in Afghanistan. Suffering from PTSD. Just a wreck. So I walked up and I said, hey, man, what's going on? And he told me that. I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Michael. And he's weeping. I said, Michael, let me tell you something. I said, there's, number one, I appreciate your service to our nation. I said, there's a lot of people that when they get in these kind of situations, they try to find answers and help in a lot of it. They go to drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever it may be. But I'm telling you, dude, the only way that you can find the peace that you're looking for in your life, that void that is missing in your life, is if you'll come to the one who is the Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus. And if you'll give your life to him, he will give you the peace that you need. And his weeping went to a smile this wide as he gave his life to Christ. He came to Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. So I'm saying to you, that there's a lot of folks that are rolling their windows up and saying, no. You want God to work in your life? No. You want to give your life to Jesus? No. <laughs> you want to repent and come back into relationship with the Lord? No. I don't want to do it. No, I'm, no. Roll the wind up. Move on. I'm telling you today. You need to be like Michael. You need to pull over. You need to come to Jesus. Somebody here may need to come to Jesus for the first time. You've never given your life to Christ. You're like Michael over here. You're lost without Christ, and you need to be Michael over here and give your life to Jesus today. Or you can run from God if you want to. But there's probably other folks in here. Probably not, It ain't probably. It's for sure. There are other folks in here. The truth of the matter is you need to run to God today. Because your relationship, yeah, you know him, but your relationship, let's just be honest, man, your relationship with him is just in the tank. You're so cold right now. You're so far from him right now. You've grieved him. You've quenched him. You just come to him today. Come to him today. He's come to you. Just like God came in after the fall. Great was the fall, but God came into the garden to come find his kids and say, I will take care of you. And that's what he says to you today. Let's go to him in prayer right now. Father, help us.
to be obedient to you, whatever that means, Lord. For anybody here today, God, that person who may be watching the service right now, Lord, on TV or Facebook, and they need to give their life to Jesus, or somebody that's in this room right now that needs to be saved, that they'll call out to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm lost without you. So come into my heart and my life right now and save me today. Help me to live for you from now on, Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. And then others that need to come in brokenness and repentance before you today, Lord, help them today. Help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.